0: Well, good morning, it's good to be here. Quiet crowd, I can tell. (laughs) Let me give you just a little bit of background. I know several of you are familiar with our son-in-law, Keith Kaiser, and so that gives one of the connections. I'm more used to that on the East Coast when I go out there than I am uh, in the Midwest. You know, it's interesting how we are oftentimes known by our children and so that, that gives you encouragement to train up your children well because you'll be known by them. Uh, although, as Keith says, when he comes over to our family camp in Missouri, he will say, well, he's known there as Naomi Scott's wife. So, <laughs> Husband, husband, true. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, the best thing about having wives along is they correct all those mistakes that you make so that You try not to do it twice. Okay. Anyway, a little bit of background on myself. Uh, I grew up in central Iowa on a farm, and I spent most of my life taking care of cows. And so uh, that is actually my hat out there on the chair, because I am a cowboy from Iowa, not from Texas. But I didn't really, I I was a good kid. I went uh, to church basically all of my life. And as I was growing up and uh, when I went to college, the Lord knows how to arrange things so that I'm in the right place at the right time to be invited into a Bible study. And in that Bible study, I started to learn about the plan that God had sent his son to die for me. And as I look back, I don't think that I ever heard the gospel before that. It's one of those things that, you know, you can do a lot of things. You can be religious. You can do, go in many places. You can be a good kid. I was a good kid. And I discovered that being a good kid does not count before God because he sees us, all as sinners. So a fellow fat, sat down with me one night, uh, about a month after I'd been to college. This is at Iowa State University. Show me two verses some that I don't hear often spoken from. One is John 3:18. Often we look at John 3:16, but John 3:18, the Lord is still speaking. He says he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Come to find out, you see there's a difference. Either you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ or you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and it makes a difference. And then at the end of that same chapter in our Bibles, we have John the Baptist speaking. And he comes to this particular point where he says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You know, that's an, an important thing for a person to see that thinks he's good, that See, I didn't have all those wonderful vices that uh, some people get into. I don't have those things that would, you know, make me think that I, I really needed to be saved because I was a good kid. But you see, that verse says it doesn't matter. The wrath of God still abides on me and that I had to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I did that day. And uh, we've been walking with the Lord ever since, getting into many different things. I spent most of my life in eastern Iowa. That's where we claim we are from. And uh, I worked for a research farm taking care of beef cows. We have five children. Naomi, that I mentioned, is our middle child. And uh, they are scattered all over the country, basically, although I guess we'd say three of them are in the Midwest, and so maybe they're not so scattered. Naomi's in the East Coast, got a daughter in the West Coast up in Washington. Been walking with the Lord for many years, and then we would uh, now been basically called into this thing of going and talking about team workers abroad. Before I want to talk about that, I always like to open the Word of God, and I like to open up, we're going to start and we're going to go through several uh, different places, about six of them actually, because as we, we look at it, and you know, there's a second thing I want to cover, I heard there's a baptism today, and so... I'm trying to do several things here, you know. First of all, to sort out there that there are those who are saved and those who are unsaved, as I, as I spoke in my own testimony. There's a difference between those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, and those who, who know of the Lord Jesus Christ as, well, he was a good man that walked on this earth. But then I want to open up to do a little teaching to those who are uh, shall we say, that being baptized, really starting to want to follow the Lord. And then there's all the rest of us that need to be encouraged as we go along. So we're going to go into Second Chronicles to start with. Second Chronicles, is where we want to talk about purposing for God. There are some things, you know, that the Lord has His hand upon our lives. He has His hand upon us drawing us to Himself. He has His hand upon us as we walk with Him in His life. But there is a point where we can determine what comes of all those things. We can determine by purposing to serve God or not, and we don't have a lot of time, and so we're going to have to spring very quickly through these areas. So we're going to 2 Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 1, and I'm going to be using the word purpose because I found it in the... A Darby translation in particular, speaking of purposing for God. It says, Solomon decided to repurpose to build a house for the name of the Lord. As we look at Solomon, Solomon is a person that's going to serve the Lord. And for him, it was a matter of building a building. Before this, it had been kept, the, the Lord's presence had been in a tabernacle, a, a movable object. Object and now it was going to be in something that was solid, something with bricks and mortar and timbers to it. Well, to put one up, you have to have a plan. You have to have people who want to work on it. You have to get the materials together. You have to prepare for it. And I think it's the same thing in our own lives. We have to have a plan of what we would like to see the Lord do in our lives. Not that we're going to determine ourselves what we're going to do, but we need to see what the Lord's plan is for our lives. We need to do that. But we also have to make preparation. In other words, we can't just go out here and say, well, I, I want to be used of the Lord. We have to come up with some different ways, and that's where we have to do some planning. We may say, well, uh, I have the skills of a musician. So, I may have to take lessons to become a better musician. So we want to do things like that. We can make plans that way. You may say, well, I I like to teach Bible studies. Well, we'll learn how to do that. Make a plan of how you can serve the Lord with the skills that He has given you. And then we have to present ourselves to that. In other words, we have to do it. There was some fellows that came along to help with this tabernacle. They had the skills, the artistic ability to be able to carve out these things and put them together, but they also were people that were willing to do it. They didn't say, well, that's a nice idea over there, but I have my business that I want to take care of. Let's go over to uh, Daniel chapter 1. Common passage, Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. Daniel has of course been hauled over to Babylon. He is uh, now being groomed to be an advisor to the king. It says here in verse 8, Daniel made up his mind or he purposed that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Here's a man that wanted to serve the Lord, and he says, if I'm going to serve the Lord, there are some things I need to do in my life to do that. First of all, I would say he needs to be pure. And for Daniel, that meant there were certain things he could eat and certain things he could not eat. And isn't that a challenge for us? In other words, there are some things that we need to do and some things that we should not be doing. What does it take in your life to be pure before God? typically we can look into our own hearts and say, you know, there are some things in my life that really shouldn't be there, but they are there. And so we need a purpose to do that. And for those who are going to be baptized, you have to come out and say, what is it that the Lord would have me to do that I might serve Him with a whole heart? There may be things, places that we can't go now. There may be things that we cannot look at. There may be uh, Things that we can't listen to because we now want to serve the Lord. Not only would he be pure, he is one who uh, has determined that uh, he would have a, a diet that would be clean. And then I would say that he was one who was not willing to pander to the world. Think about this. As a young man, we have no record of his parents. So we're going to assume that they're probably dead, killed in the invasion, killed in the uh, before he was hauled off, we don't know. So here is a man that is now taken out of his own countries in a new society, a new culture. He is given a new name, has to speak a, a new language. He's being in, taught in what I would probably call the, the best university of the world. And in that process, you see, he is isolated. Isolated. And so there's a real challenge for us. Because as I read the commentaries, this man is a man of about 17 years old. Isn't it interesting? It's about the time that we send our young people off to college, into the work world. And so what do we have? We have a man that has known his God well enough that when he is completely isolated by everything you can do to isolate a person, to stand for God. Now, if you're unsaved, you can't do this on your own. You've got to turn and believe in the Lord first to have that strength that the Lord provides. But here is a man that does that. Now, the other challenge I find for us is for the parents. Parents, are we doing everything we can so that as they reach that age of 17, like Daniel was, that they're willing and able to stand for God? What are we doing to see that they know how to do these things? So we will look at some of those. Let's go over here a little bit though. We want to go over to about three chapters or two chapters to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 is the three young men in the fiery furnace. We like that story and, and a lot of people know about it where these young Hebrews were willing to stand up and say no we're not going to bow down to that golden image. And so they stand there before Nebuchadnezzar And I find it an interesting response in verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true or do you purpose Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? See, I'd like to say and maintain that these young men had such a testimony that Nebuchadnezzar knew Exactly what they purpose to do. See, that's this question do you, do you really purpose to do this? I look at this particular instance and I would say that I think Nebuchadnezzar is trying to let them off the hook. In other words, you know, he's put some time and effort and money into training these young men, sent them off to school just like Daniel. And they're standing there saying, we, we're not going to go along with this thing. You talk about peer pressure. They have the peer pressure of the whole rest of the captives as well as all of the Babylonian hierarchy pushing down on them. And he says, do you purpose to do this? And I think that's a real challenge to us because we have people pushing in on us all of the time. And are we willing to do it? Are we willing to stand there? Are we willing to have such a testimony before the people that others would say, I know what you're doing. See, and that's the challenge for those who are being baptized. Now that you've desired to be baptized, it is a testimony before everyone else that you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that He has made a change in your life. And as a result of that change, you are now going to live a different life. See, baptism is saying, I have died with Christ. I'm going to be raised to a new life. A different life. A life that wants to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And part of doing that is letting other people know that you're going to stand that way. In other words, let me put it very simply. Do all of your neighbors know that you're going to be here this morning? Or do they say, well... They might be gone, but they might be home. That's a good question to ask yourself. So these are men that the ungodly knew their plan, and they don't like the proposal that they make. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar didn't really want them to say yes to that question that he asked them. And so they were willing to stand up to that pressure that was put upon them. They they said, we're going to take this stand. Now, sometimes we let it slide by us and say, "Well, that was easy for them to do because, you see, uh, there there was this wonderful golden image, and we don't have golden images today, so we get off the hook." I don't think so. We have golden images. It's just that it's not real gold, and it's not real physical. What do you climb after? Do you climb after an education? Do you climb after the better salary? the bigger position in the company, a nicer yard, a better house, a wonderful boat. What is it we crave after? And I think that is a challenge to us. Here are some young men that are willing to stand up and say, no, I won't follow what the crowd wants me to do, what, the, what is thrown at me by advertisements every day of my life. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And this is as we're building the background of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we understand Mary and Joseph. And Mary has found out now that she's with child. Joseph now has found out that Mary is with child. And so we come to verse uh, 19. It says, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her plan, or he purposed to send her away secretly... I find it right, very nice and very interesting how this man is described as a, a righteous man. He is a, a man that is, I would say, purposed to be righteous. There's a plan that you have to make. How do you become a righteous person? How do you become a spiritual person? You see, for many people, they think, oh, to become a spiritual person, that means you need to go to church a lot. Or you need to do a lot of good works. You need to help out people. You be, need to be a nice person. But that doesn't get you to be a spiritual person. Because to be a spiritual person, you need a spiritual birth. And to be a, have a spiritual birth, you need to have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But then once you've believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not allowed to coast. We need to make plans of how we're going to serve the Lord. How are we going to learn more of Him? How do we become a righteous person? You see, if we have sin in our lives, we can't become righteous. But when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, we can become righteous before God. But then there's more to it than just saying, well, I am now righteous before God. I have this legal standing that I am righteous. And there's a matter of putting it into practice in our lives. And we need to do that. Now, there's a lot of things you can do, but I'm going to give you three basic things that I think you can do. One is you need to read the Word of God. You've got to spend time reading the Word of God. You need to spend time in prayer, talking to God. You need to spend time in fellowship with the other people. There's a reason why we have meetings. It isn't just to something to fill up your Sunday mornings, your Sunday nights, your Wednesday nights. You need the fellowship. You need the encouragement. When I was in college and I was newly saved, we had a, a, at noon we were able to get a room in the college and meet together for prayer. And I look back and it was what gave me that substance to get from this Sunday to the next Sunday. Because it was a long time when you're out on a secular campus and you're a Christian. We need to do those things in our lives. But then we have to do more than make a plan to do it. We have to be people that are actually going to carry it out. We have to set aside the time. Let me go back to college again. I was saved there. And I learned very quickly that I needed to have what we call a quiet time. Spend time reading the Word of God. I'm a morning person. And so that meant if you're in college and you go to bed late, you've got to set that alarm earlier to get up. But to carry that out, that was the plan to set the alarm. To pursue that, to carry it out, you've got to get out of bed when the alarm goes off. It's a very simple process, but you've got to do it. And so this is a person, I think Joseph was a person, That had done that. Well, it isn't just individuals, it also affects churches. We need to go over to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 is where the the Word of God has gone out basically into the Mediterranean. It's gone, then it went north, got to Antioch. Antioch, it says, they started to preach to the Gentiles, and we're all glad that they started to do that. This is not just a Jewish religion, this is not something that the Jews do. Or now that Christians are quite popular. It's not something that Christians do. We all have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it says here in verse 23 that, uh, excuse me, let me back, give the background. So they, people were saved. The message came back down to Jerusalem. They looked around their assembly and they said, who would be a good person to go to encourage them? And so they said, aha, that guy over there, Barnabas, he's working with us. He is an encourager. So in 23, when he arrived at Antioch, he witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced, began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. That is a purpose of heart, to remain true to the Lord. I'd like to first maintain that the church was positioned together. In other words, when he got there, people knew that they were in the church and they would gather together. They were willing to become part of this group that is the church. We need to commit ourselves. To the church to be active in the activities of the church not for our salvation not just to be filling our time but to be serving the Lord and working together as a church not only that they wanted to prevail together this is the idea of having a purpose of heart they wanted to work together so that things were accomplished for the Lord and then I would say they would want to hold the precepts together. They want to remain true to the Lord. We have, need to have an understanding, not individually, but also understanding corporately of what the Lord would have us to do. We have traditions, but there's often good reasons behind what we do as we do it. Why do we break bread? Do you know that? Why do we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation? We need to know those things. We need to work together and hold them together. Now I want to go on quickly over to chapter 18 at the very last verse. This is where uh, Ephesus, Paulus preached at Ephesus for a fair while. And then he left. Apollos comes in. Apollos is a young man. Verse 27, he wanted to go, or he purposed to go, across to Achaia. The brethren encouraged him, wrote to the disciples to welcome him, and when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. First of all, this is a man that has a purpose in his life. And if you're unsaved, you often do not have a purpose in life. But if you're saved, you have a purpose to serve the Lord. His purpose was to spread the gospel across the seas in Achaia. Secondly, we find that the church prodded him. They encouraged him. As you see someone coming up and growing in their faith, come alongside and encourage them. Perhaps they are ones who are helpers. And they set up chairs and tables and things that need to be done. Encourage them in that. They may be a preacher. Encourage them in it. There's a lot of things. Perhaps they are good at visiting other people. Encourage them in it and teach them how. We need to pass on the baton. They not only prodded him, they promoted him. You notice they sent letters out. We need to be telling others, particularly of those that could have an impact outside of our assemblies. You have someone in particular that is a good preacher. They should not have to sell themselves You should be talking to others about them. And we see the result. It was brought profit to those. It helped those who had believed through grace. We are really crowding our time here, but we're going to go to some pictures. I want to talk about team workers abroad. And what it amounts to is this is, you know, if you're looking around and say, well, what can I do to serve the Lord? Sometimes we look at it that way. And so we need to come along and say, well, here is a way to do it. Some people do not preach well. They're not good evangelists. But they're good with their hands. And so this is what we're providing, is a way to do that. And we want to, whoops, try this, try that. There we go. I have to figure out how to each particular thing. So Teamworkers Abroad, what is it? Well, it's an organization that wants to bring groups of people together to help missionaries. Skilled, unskilled, doesn't matter what you have, you can go along. What you need is a willing heart. We may get back to that one in a minute. But we want to help missionaries. Missionaries spend a lot of time learning the language and culture, and they may not be able to build things. But after they've done some work, you know, there's groups of people that want to meet together. They sometimes need buildings Sometimes missionaries are working in uh, other projects such as schools or camps that need help. And so in that process, we want to take all these people in the United States that have these wonderful building abilities and help the missionary by uh, coming alongside, not knowing the culture, not knowing the language, but help them to build things. So, came from John Rowley, a contractor. Went down and talked to Assembly Care Ministries, uh, some of you know Jesse Gentile. He was on part of that as far as the board, and he helped us get started. He met and told us to go see the Canadians, and we went down to Mexico with uh, Brian Thomas, which I forget is also close to this area. Uh, these are the guys on the board. Uh, Tim is a um, contractor, missionary, been a missionary all of his life. Scott Norson was an architect. He's a contractor. I chase cows, and uh, it takes care of most of us. Basically, we all have a heart, and I can't get this to move. There we go, and these are some other guys that have come alongside to help us. Perhaps you know a few of them here and there. So there are four different things that I look at are actually three. One is building church buildings. One is helping in a camp, and a school, and this is helping a missionary individually to do things. It's going to be slow at this pace. Okay. Mexico. We went down to Mexico City early on. Actually, not Mexico City, but if you come down here two-thirds of the way to the coast, you're up in the mountains. Notice these nice rocky mountains sticking down here. There's some Aztec Indians there that have gotten saved. And they wanted to build a building, a larger building, because they wanted to encourage people. You see, you talk about working together and having a purpose. These are people that work together. And actually, if you were to look at this, cut it in about half, this is the size of the assembly it's not large in other words you probably outnumber them okay but i want to show you what they wanted to do we went in there Here we go they had a flat piece of land carved out of the mountains they were ready to put a building up and so we spent two weeks and we eventually got it back up to ground level because we had to dig 12 holes that are about five and a half foot wide Five and a half the other way about five and a half deep. It's kind of a clay type soil. It's difficult digging. Eventually we got a backhoe in there but it was a little bit flaky. Some of the young men were ambitious workers. Had half the holes dug by the time it got there. Why did we do that? Because they needed a foundation for that building. Need a good, solid foundation. It's an earthquake area. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ talked about that. He said, you know, if you listen to my words and Don't pay attention to them. He says it's like a building built on sand. When the storms come, it's going to fall down. But if you listen, you pay attention, or as we were talking earlier, if you would believe, then you will have a solid foundation. One that is going to stay there through the storm. Notice he never says if the storms come. It's when they come. They will come in our lives. So it's a good illustration of what they did. And so this is what happened. They, we got it up to ground level. They said, that's fine. We can put up the walls. Took them a year to get the walls up. And then a month later, they had a conference. 320 people came. Now, this is a challenge for Americans. Number one, to get that many people there. Number, because they're all Aztecs. I mean, they walked there or they rode donkeys or hitched a ride. I mean, this was not out of the city. This isn't in a big metropolis, okay? 320 people come and they get encouraged. On top of that preach the gospel and six more people get saved and i don't know if i've been in a conference where people have gotten saved but that's america that's not down there we want to go to is down in peru this is uh tom clark some of you may be familiar with his work i think he's been out in this area uh he has a school there we went in and they were having some walls up and our job was to build um doors and windows and get the roof on in two weeks. We did get the roof on. There were some Canadians there. We got the, the frames made and they were going to put them in after we left. And this is what it looked like when it was finished. And a year later when we came back. The administrative offices here and two classrooms. Tom was building it one classroom at a time. He wanted to go on up but the Lord didn't supply that and so he said let's build a, an activity slab. And so we went to work. And to do that you Start out here with a pile of gravel, and right there's a pile of sand and some water, cement, and you mix it all up and start pouring it out. And the result, whoops, missed, let's point it this direction. There we go. Too far. The result is touching young people's lives, because now they have a clean place to play. And moms are happy too, because these are poor people, and they probably have one change of clothes that gets washed once a week. So if they get dirty, then... It is dirty all week. Came back following year. Now the Lord had supplied some money, so the building was going up. Tom hires local people to put it together. And you find various things here. These are going to be handed up one at a time. They'll carry some men up here in port and the top of these to build pillars for the rooms. And these are the people that the Lord brought together to do that work. These three are Canadians. One of the missionaries was a Canadian, so they came down. These two fellows heard that there was some work to do down there, and so they came. So that leaves Tom down here. These, the, these two and this one and this one are the Americans that came down. This is the young lady who has an interesting ministry uh, helping to sort out libraries and want to be there at the same time. So this is, we jumped into the work, and we did a lot of cleaning, a lot of painting, a lot of putting things together, getting rooms set up with the result that they were set up and ready to go. And two weeks later, they had school ready to go. But the result is not to touch, to build buildings. The result is to touch lives. This happens to be a classroom, summer classroom. It's not full. But the, the young people hear the gospel every day. And then they carry it home to their folks. And people get saved. Kids get saved. Parents get saved. And two weeks after we left, there was a baptism, just like it was today. It's warm down there in the wintertime, so they do it outside. Another quick one down here in uh, Serbia. This is the old Yugoslavia for us old people. Uh, In Serbia, we have some friends. Uh, Steve and Jenny Luebrand. Uh, Basically, they are out of Montana. And uh, they have gone over there to serve the Lord with their five children. And Steve is a young man. He is about 40 years old. Uh, not quite that yet. And uh, he has rheumatoid arthritis. And so he's not able to handle tools. And he wanted to work on his house. Actually to the point I've heard him turn down his wife for holding the children. Because it hurts too much. And So we went to help them. It changes our ministry because we can only have my wife and I uh, there because they were going to keep us in their house. Now how did we do that? Okay, here we go. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I may turn to you and just have you do it here pretty soon. Anyway, as we go, we, we sit down at their dinner table and you eat with them and listen to them talk out. You go see the uh, soccer teams and you play grandma. You have to remember, their folks are in the United States and they don't get there very often either. And I encourage you to go see your missionaries and help them out just being with them. And the comment the wife made to my wife as we were leaving, it was so good to have you here because you think in English. And every missionary that's in a foreign field has that problem. I'm going to just have you start hitting those, okay? (laughs) This is where they work. This is the Serbian Orthodox Church. It's the main thing in about every town. This is the largest operating Orthodox Church in the world. This is also some of his work. This is the assembly he meets in. You notice about everybody in there is a gray head, and so that is a problem. This is a Bible school. It is actually a motel that the Lord turned into a Bible school. He does that often. And this is a family. He works a lot with gypsies. To me, the work is going amongst the gypsies because these are the ones that understand that they are poor, that they are found lacking before God, and therefore they get saved. And the Lord does a lot of work. They bring the baggage in. It takes a lot of work to work with them. But they have baggage that come with it. All right. And so we find here, this is some of the work that we did. This is putting up a ceiling. We also put the floor, cover up some, uh, shall we say, ugly shelves over the pantry, take this nice toolbox and turn it into a nice little table out in the hallway and build some more storage for us. Uh, down in Columbia, we went into a um, camp, a uh, typical camp. They have a lot of activities, and everybody stands and has pictures taken of them. Started out with John, actually, with his youth group before team workers really going. They came in here, barrel, excuse me, wheelbarrows and uh, uh, shovels. You make a flat place to uh, have this. Now we'll go ahead. And then we come back, and we want to put ceramic tile. Talk about a willing heart. Whoops. Now one of us is hitting this too often. (laughs) (laughs) The willing heart, this young lady here. Came down hoping to cook. She is a techie, can run computers better than I can. And she said, what can I do? And he said, we need it grouted. And so she started to learn how to grout laying there on her side. That's what we want now to go on. So the the, uh, girls' side got done. The boys didn't get done because then the rust started to fall in. And we needed to work on that. And so some of the locals had taken it down, started some of the work, and we proceeded to put it together. And this is pretty well where it is ending up. And we also had electrician along, and so we dug some lines. We had a lot of guys. We dug uh, dug a whole ditch across here to get this supplied to the um, circuit box. And we stayed over and got some more done, and so we had everything pretty well ready. Uh, this just needed to be taken care of uh, to have the roof put on. So then this year, I uh, came back with another team that uh, worked on it. This is just kind of the ports that we finished off. This is where those guys were standing on the rafters, it was done. And we proceeded to the front entryway needed to be done, over the kitchen needed to be done, dorms needed to be done, more roofing to put on. So we worked at it. Uh, This is, as we were finishing off, this is over the uh, kitchen here, this is the entryway, and we were just getting that about done. When you're on these trips, you can expect to do some preaching, helping out, doing what you can, joining in, the activities of the local assembly. Here was a fellow who was with us, was doing the preaching. Paul is the translator in this particular case. Because uh, in this particular case with our large team there, a third of us spoke English, and uh, the rest of them spoke Spanish. This is a young man, works with his Awana group. He was using these three young people as illustration of his sermon. This is, we have devotions. And so in this case, the, the Colombian was leading the devotions, American was translating back into English because we had a very mixed crowd again in our um, time. Did you get it? You got it. We also do other activities. This is a fellow who came from Spain, and he planted these uh, grapes, and he now has a vineyard. These are large table grapes, very huge. Sometimes we like to go out on the hill. We're alone. Some of the young men had gone out there, but the Lord goes with us. Another quick one down here in Mexico City. We went back. And we noticed when we were down there before that uh, this is the same area that there was a young couple starting to serve the Lord and they continued to do so. And they poured all of their time and all of their money into it and they did not finish off the house. It was already up. And so we went down saying we need to get that up because as a result they can help people that are traveling through. They can take these disciples and house them. There's also storage there for translation. So we need to think about these things. Ponder what it is the Lord is doing in our own lives. It's a young man that was long with us, 15. Getting to think through what he had seen, what he had smelled, what he had heard, so that he might think what the Lord would do in his life. We need to all consider that. What would the Lord do in our lives? And sometimes it takes our hands to do that. So if you want to do that, what can you do? You can pray for us as an organization. We want to be God-honored and pray for the teams. There's a lot of little tiny things to go along. Protect us, safety, rain, things that you can pray for. Um, you can participate. You can be a team worker, a team leader. We need leaders right now. Help others to cover the cost. And there are other skills that you have that maybe help us to get going and be on the way. And then pass on the word. Over there is a good place to sign up so that you don't forget it before you walk out. There's also other things, little cards you can take with you, information about the organization. Put down your information, basically an email address so that you can hear about what is going on. We like to do that. Let you keep up so you can pray for us effectively. We do have a website. We do have a Facebook. And missionaries come through. Tell them about Teamworkers Abroad. These are what we have at the moment. We need, current, we need construction leaders that can lead us knows what goes up first. We need some shutters put up in Italy. We may have a guy that's willing to do that. And just, here's another one. They'd like to build a new camp down there in Mexico, but they have to buy the land for it. And it takes money to do that. So those are the things that we have. Thank you for the visit, is what that says. And I do thank you for allowing me to come and speak. Normally I ask for questions. You're going to have to talk to me later because we've got to get to a baptism. So let's close at this part with a word of prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we do thank you that you have chosen to work in our lives, that uh, you have sought us out, shown us of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, help us then to take what you have given to us and use it for you. And Father, we would ask that you would continue to help those in other countries to continue to understand you and grow in you also. We would ask in Jesus' name. Amen.